Do you want to wear the headphones through the whole of the recording? They're very comfortable. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can remove them. No, that's fine. If they're comfy, <laughs> leave them on. All right. Welcome to the Play Ed Podcast, where we explore cultivating connections through play. Hello and welcome to the Play Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Chris. And today we are here to do what we always do, explore cultivating connections through play. So I've been feeling this week as if we haven't played games in a month around here. No, that's not true. It's been busy, but it's really only been crazy busy the last few weeks with swim lessons. So so yeah, all we've played is Marco Polo. <laughs> Which is not a bad game. And it's really simple to play. You just need people and a pool. That is very true. So um, given that it's summer and some people travel, and a lot of people are spending time at the pool or the lake or the beach... What about, I mean, we've talked the last few weeks about a lot of different games. They tend to involve boards, beautiful pieces. Um, oh, yeah, I'm a junkie for any, if it comes with a board and lots of things to touch and move. And then you go, did I get every little red block back in the box when I packed up? And I usually didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't. We always find one or two in the couch weeks later. It's like, where did you come from? Um but in, in all seriousness, um, today we'd like to talk about games that don't require a whole lot of stuff. What can you do with a pack of cards? What can you do with, um, you know, you can get travel sets for chess checkers, backgammon. Um, what are the kinds of things you can do when you're on the road or off-grid um, that can help you build connections and more importantly, kind of following on last episode where we talked about fatigue and failure, what are games that are simple enough to learn to play, cheap enough in their components that almost without exception, you can usually find a way to play them um, to get the materials you need. And then how do you build those connections when... You don't have a whole lot at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we could probably call this games on the go because every single one of these ones that we are sort of thought about as we brainstormed what to talk about are games that either require nothing more than the body of water you're swimming in or things that travel very easily and that many of them are the sort of thing that you first learned while traveling. Um Usually because when you're traveling, you don't have your usual television or these days internet to, to occupy your time. Um, wait, 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 wait. You can do stuff without the internets? I mean, how does that work? Well, I can tell you that in my childhood, we didn't have it. Is that because we're old? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah, growing up with an analog childhood was really awesome in a lot of ways. Um, in that summers were... You know, diving competitions and who could make the biggest splash with a cannonball and trying to not get stung by jellyfish when playing in the surf on the Gulf Coast. 
um, and lots of card games and really simple board games, chess, checkers, um, stuff you could take with you. And that, that held whether, whether we were down, as I said, at the Gulf Coast or we were hanging out at, at the country club that one of my friend's families had a membership to growing up. Um, you know, there were pools to swim in and, and, um, and just games to play, mm-hmm. um, swim races, Marco Polo, as you mentioned, watching our kids do that um, over the last few weeks uh, just kind of reminded me of, of how did I spend my summers in the, in the pre-internet world. Um, and that got us thinking about card games and board games, and now I'm just repeating myself aimlessly. Well, so. I was well, I was sitting here thinking about maybe it's it, it, sometimes it's helpful to think of an example. And since you mentioned card games and vacation, uh, my mother's family uh, lives out in California, and every summer we would go out to visit them. And one of the things that we tried to do every single year was drive up to Lake Tahoe and we'd spend a weekend camping up in the Lake Tahoe area. <clears throat> now, Lake Tahoe has tons of stuff to do. There is the lake and swimming in it or boating on it. And lots and lots of hiking, uh, in- including interesting historical houses and such. But there's also times at the campsite when someone's cooking food and you need to find something to do. And while you can read a magazine by the campfire and we did that, one of the things my grandfather always brought along was decks of cards and a box of clay betting chips. And we just... like poker chips. Yeah, poker chips. Um, And we would play hours and hours of 21. Um, So like blackjack? Yeah, blackjack. They called it 21 for us because the important thing for the kids was to remember that the thing you were trying to add up to was 21, which I think covers a couple of things. One, I played a lot of that game, not just with my brother and sister, but also with my grandfather. And when we talk about cultivating connections, one of the things that I think is really important about a game is that it has that ability to cross all kinds of barriers that when you're playing with another person, you're sharing something with someone frequently uh, across generations. Yeah. And so that's one of the touchstones I had with my grandpa that, you know, you could be sitting there playing that card game and then having a conversation about whatever, whether it was the history of the place you were in or what he'd done when he was a kid or when he learned to play the game. And, And you'd get to tell stories to each other as you played. And that meant that, you had not just the the blood connection being related, but you you told these stories that built up something bigger, and that the playing of the game was that opportunity to have a conversation without it being we're going to have a conversation now. Right. It it, it was natural. Well, and and you know not to put too fine a point on it, but your grandfather died some years ago yes not i think around the time we got married wasn't it uh, a i mean I, I, I recall him making it to the wedding yeah um and I, I remember getting to meet him but you know so he's no longer with us those family trips to tahoe don't happen anymore but you still have those memories not just of the trips out there and the awesome beauty that is tahoe but of sitting around the campfire, playing cards with your grandfather, playing cards with your siblings, hanging out and chit-chatting, 
um, and and that kind of connection. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what we're going for. That's one that bridged generations and allows you good memories you can carry forward with you into your interactions with other people. And then the other thing that the game was doing, and I didn't realize it until years later watching a... I think I was watching a a, a, a show about the... The MIT kids who... was Oh, the card counting? Yeah. Okay. So very briefly, there were some um, kids at MIT who, as a class project, um, started counting cards in, I believe, Atlantic City. Um, They weren't marking them, but they figured out how to count cards, and then they figured out the probabilities. Um, And they, they... managed to make a lot of money in Atlantic City. They went out to Vegas and they did that in Vegas. It was a, anyway, I'm documentary getting... about it, but the important part was is that 21 as a card game on the very very basic level gets you really good very fast at math facts. You learn what things add up to 21 in all of the various combinations and get very good very quickly at adding up and saying I'm getting awfully close to where if I get m- most of the cards that I could get are going to push me over the edge. Right. And so you learn probability in an intuitive way, um, as well as adding, doing mental arithmetic very quickly. Um, and then from a from an upper level maths, you do have the opportunity with that game to explore some uh, statistics. Um and so the game teaches you things at the same time. But the most important thing at the time when I was playing it was that I was making this connection with my family. Right. When I, uh, when I lived in Italy, um, I was introduced to a game called Scopa, which mm-hmm. is played with a, a deck of cards. It's, uh, the, the Italian uh, standard playing deck is slightly different from the the poker or bridge standard playing decks we're used to here in the United States. Yes. But um, you can get cards that can be used for playing Scopa just about anywhere. The, the suits are slightly different. The illustrations are very different. Uh, and the card counts are a little different. But setting all that aside, Scopa is um, a game where you're, um, you're, you're laying cards out with um, three other players. It's, it's, it's best played with four. Um, and there are loose teams kind of like in Bridge, but not... Um, uh, you don't you don't have a dummy at the table the way you do in 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 bridge, um, and I think Whist also has that, but it's been too long. Since bridge I've is played. kind of like a cousin of Whist. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Scopa, um, fascinating game to play. I really enjoyed it, and we keep the cards. But the where I'm trying to get to with this, uh, and I clearly need more coffee, is um, I started. I was I was introduced to play by some of my classmates. And the way my classmates learned is they were out at one of the bars and some of the older Italian guys invited them because they were attractive young American women to sit down and play with them. Well, it was, I suspect, mainly to flirt, but what the girls learned was how to play Scopa and they went to a tobacco shop and they bought Scopa cards and they brought them back to campus and we started playing. 
Well, once I learned how to play, I could sit down with the older Italian men at the bar and I could play. Mm -hmm. And so here I am crossing a language barrier, crossing a cultural barrier, crossing a, a, a generation barrier while I'm living overseas. And while I couldn't understand a lot of the Italian being used around me, some of them spoke just enough English that they could clue me in. And sometimes they didn't, and that was when I figured out they were talking about politics or, you know, religion or any of the other sort of forbidden topics among polite society. But I spent a good bit of my time doing that and still occasionally play Scopa with some of my uh, Italian friends who've emigrated here to the United States. Um, and then a few years ago, a bunch of us started playing Scopa after church. We had some Italian folks uh, coming to church with us. Um, and some other folks who lived overseas, and we were like, well, let's just kind of sit around and, you know, play Scopa after, afterwards for a little while. And mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun. Um, and again, the, 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 the way the gameplay works, you're very, very rapidly doing arithmetic. Um, because the goal is, is card combinations that add up to 10. So when you play that, the game's teaching you if you don't already know it it's it's honing your mental arithmetic uh, but the more important thing is passing the time and frequently passing the time with people who are not exactly like you because if you're in a, a, a little italian bar um playing this game one of the things you mentioned is the, the uh to me when you told me about this previously was that the girls who'd first learned to play would play it and the older italian men were very charmed Charmed and charming. Yes. But part of what they helped the, those girls learn was how to navigate a cu Italian culture so that they could be friendly without offering invitations they didn't intend to invite. Yes. And thus recognizing foreign countries are different. Everyone's got a different set of social cues. And the hardest part about living in a different place is... In doing something, are you promising more than you intend? Whether it's a sale that you didn't mean to, mean to make or a relationship you didn't mean to intend. Right. And so they, they helped them navigate some of that, which, you know, for your classmates was probably a, a very good thing when you're 18, 19, living in Italy, uh, and it's your first time being overseas for a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know that... For me, the other game I played a lot of when I was in Italy uh, was Magic the Gathering, which was still relatively new mm -hmm. um, in the in the late '90s. And the rules today are yeah, very the rules different. today are very very different. I mean, you can still get into Magic the Gathering. They've got organized play. They're international tournaments. It's it's really boomed. But I mean, I learned to play Magic in the early '90s when my cousin came back from Philmont, where he'd been hiking with the Boy Scouts. And he had met some Boy Scouts at Philmont who were from the Pacific Northwest, from the area around Seattle where Wizards of the Coast is based. Mm -hmm. um, and he had this really cool card game called Magic the Gathering. And he he had learned to play and they had given him some cards. And it turned out that those cards, if we still had them, would, would now be worth lots of money. But they were ratted out. They were well played. They were poor production quality. Not, not collector's level. Well, no. I mean, collectors would be interested in because they were alphas and betas. True. They were the very, very first generations of cards. But these, these scouts had just given a bunch of their surplus mm -hmm. to my cousin who stuck them in a Ziploc bag and hiked them across the rest of Philmont for the 
trip and then came home to New Orleans. So he taught me to play um, right before I graduated high school. And I had some friends who, um, they were all working jobs after high school. Most of them had decided not to go to college. And since they were all living together, um, you know, one guy paid rent for the month, one guy paid utilities for the month, one guy bought booze for the month, and one guy bought, like, ammunition and magic cards for the month, or that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was one of those kinds of, of, of post-high school communal setups um, that some of my friends had, had constructed. Well, they realized very quickly that buying individual boosters and stuff. So I don't know if, uh, how many of our listeners are familiar with Magic the Gathering, but... Collectible card game. Collectible card game. You buy starter packs, you buy booster packs... You try and construct a deck to defeat other players constructing decks. And it's fundamentally a strategy game. Yeah, there's there's some strategy, there's some tactical considerations. But anyway, um, LA by way of Omaha here, um, I ended up with a bunch of Magic cards before I went to college. Well, when I went overseas, Magic was just getting big in, oh my god, that is a huge spider crawling up the wall. It's under one of the paint chips now. Uh-huh. But it's like the size of my thumb. That thing is huge. Okay. Wow. <laughs> um Right, so uh played a lot of magic in college. Italy. Uh, and then when I went to Italy, found out magic was really big there. Well, I started buying magic cards in Italian, and a bunch of us would try and puzzle out what did these mean. Now some of them we had the similar card in English. And the Italian card was a translation from the English card. So we could figure out how to say certain things related to the game in Italian. You ended up with a lot of verbs that would be used in several cards so that sometimes once you got translated the cards where you were pretty clear on what it was, you would move over to a new card and you'd say, oh, oh, I've seen that one before. And now you had a key in and you could start to interpret from other context clues what that new card was right right and so we started playing among us um a lot of magic the gathering but to go to to get more cards we had to go into to, in, into the city mm-hmm. and we found hobby shops because this was again before the internet before you bought everything over the internet and had it delivered to your door and, you know, forget prime shipping. So we would have to go in to town, navigate Italy, get there during a time when the store was open, which was never mid-afternoon because everybody still took siesta in which Rome Which was fantastic because the way our campus worked, we didn't go, we didn't, we were not there on the same semester, uh, but I did go at a separate time. The way our campus worked in Italy, you had classes through the morning and then after you had had luncheon, you were allowed to use your bus tickets to ride into Rome. Yeah. And you could do that, but you had to understand that with Italian siesta, frequently when you arrived, nothing was open yet. Unless you yourself took a siesta and then went in for the afternoon. But anyway, we found our way to um, a place called Strategy and Tactics, Strategia e Tactica, uh, in Rome, which I'm not sure if it's still there. Mm. Uh, I'd have to look it up on the internet. But anyway, um, so... Going there, I got to meet Italians who were gamers mm-hmm. and kind of practice my halting Italian and they could practice their halting English. And we had this overarching connection of these games because 
guys, mostly guys. I mean, I, none, none of the girls on campus, they were willing to play Scopa because they could flirt with the, the, the Italian men. None of the girls on campus wanted to play Magic. Okay, that's fine. But hanging out in the GameStop, there was minis gaming. There were people who played Warhammer 40K and... Um, there were Dungeons and Dragons books, um, which at that time was still the very late second edition era. Um, and there were, of course, magic cards and there were magic tournaments and we could hang out and play with the shopkeepers and the kids who came in and we got to know each other. And and so there was this immersion in Italian gamer culture that I received serendipitously. Mm-hmm. Because of this weird card game that my cousin brought back from Philmont and the funny one thing, summer a couple of years earlier. And the funny thing was is that I had learned about the game at about the same time because of my brother. In the early 90s? In the early 90s, yes. My brother, um, like me, was in the orchestra. And his middle school orchestra had formed a relationship with a sister orchestra in one of the Carolinas. Okay. Um, the schools set up this exchange program where for about a week... The uh, orchestra from the Carolinas traveled up to our uh, to to our city in Maryland, and they uh, had the kids from the orchestra home with various orchestra families. So we had this kid. So an exchange program. Yeah, it was an exchange program. We had this kid from uh, from one Maryland to North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. So we had this we had this kid from the Carolina Orchestra hanging out with us for a week, and he had brought a a card deck of magic and that's how my brother found out about it my brother had already been playing dungeons and dragons so it's like oh hey this is fun yet another fantasy game but instead of a a rule book and a sort of pen and paper tabletop rpg this is a card collecting game so it's different but thematically in his interest area and that's how he ended up getting into the game back then and then so when i so when i got to college not only had i met you but my one of my best friends had been playing magic in high school okay uh she had even written a a fun little fiction story about a a a, uh, oh my word fanfic forget it That's so in your wheelhouse. Oh yes, but but yeah, she shaved the shaved the the serial numbers off it about it. It was a it was a fun little story. Um, but we had a, a whole circle of friends who had been playing that. Well, what I think is cool is I had around the time that we had first started dating back in college. I helped you organize your your decks so that you could um, keep them together, and we'd put them in some binders, and then we never got rid of them. We had gone through lots of periods where there had been other gaming materials that in a in a fit of uh, adult-itis, where you decided that you're grown up, so you were going to throw away your games, you had gone and sold off a bunch of your other stuff that we've since <laughs> painstakingly reacquired. But the but the magic card stayed. We'd never got it around to trying to figure out how to sell them, and so right. they just kept getting dragged from place to place as we moved around. Well, our kids discovered them about a little over a year ago, and... So now the card decks that you had been playing in high school and then yeah. later in college and through Italy, including some of those Italian cards, which are still in the decks. Um, now our kids have built have built their own decks and they have friends uh, in their circle of friends that have done the same thing. And so now we've got, again, that, that cross-generational thing where you can sit down with the kids and play a game of magic with them. And, and they can play with their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and actually, when I went to to kind of restock uh, a couple of years ago, I I spent 
I didn't spend that much money. Um, but I, I just went out to eBay and I bought some bulk lots of the the era of cards I liked playing with and that were familiar to me um, and got the cards for pennies on the dollar and, you know, the kids now build decks and uh, we're, I'm not trying to keep them for collector's purposes. There's a few that I have that are that are probably worth a pretty penny and those, you know, just kind of sit off to the side and we use proxy cards. But um, we're kind of far afield here mm -hmm. from just talking about games on the go in general. Um, Although but, part of why I thought about our kids is the fact that they frequently will take those decks. And oh, yeah, will, they take them everywhere. I mean, yeah. just throw, throw one or two decks in a pocket and you've got a deck you can loan to somebody um, to play. I know there's kind of a semi-regular gathering after church on Sundays. Um, they'll they'll play anytime they get together and have 20 minutes to sit down, which is exactly how we used it. Mm -hmm. When, when I was playing constantly. And that's the thing about any kind of card game is that they travel nicely. They're the sort of thing that you can take and put in a book bag or in a pocket. And they can come with you to be played in a social gathering after a thing or on the road on a trip. Yeah. Now, another game that travels nicely, uh, because you can find travel versions very easily, that I remember... That I th was thinking about as, as we talked about games on the go is Pente. Oh yeah. Um, God, when did we learn to play that? We learned to play that when we were doing medieval reenactment. Oh, that's right. That's right. That was just a few years ago. And this is a great example of games that are great when the surroundings are boring. Yes. Yes. Because the, the event, it was actually kind of funny. So, uh, we were, uh, we were doing a medieval reenactment um, thing, and the particular event we were at was a crown tournament. So the 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 idea was is that various people fighting with uh, foam covered rattan sticks uh, in full armor were fighting for the right to become the next king of our little um, territory. This is very exciting. It's not for a very the... little territory. It's it... actually a pretty big. Territory. Actually, yeah, it is a pretty big territory. Anyways. It's a pretty exciting event for the adults who are there who know each other and care about the outcome. But so dead boring for the kids, especially if the fighting itself isn't going on. Yeah. So we they had it had been brought along for the children little activities that were suitably medieval so that they would blend in and one of the things that you can play is a game called Pente and a travel set you've got a a cloth board that you can roll out so that rather than having a, a cardboard fold up You've got a piece of cloth with the board printed on it that can roll up. And then the tokens are little wooden chits, but you could also play with colored stones yeah. that fit on the board. And like Chinese checkers and Othello and, and or, or Go and a number of other um, similar token games, it's about moving the, the tokens across the board to capture others while making your own... Yeah, lining them up and, and bookending them with certain colors in order to convert the colors and so forth. The game's really simple to learn. Um, and one of the older adolescents there um, pulled a couple of our kids in with a set of it and just sat down and spent the afternoon playing with them and teaching them the game and helping them learn to play it. 
Well, we became very good friends with him, with his mother. Um, she became actually one of our go-to babysitters for a while. Mm-hmm. And and whenever whenever we wanted to get out for a bit, she was more than happy to come watch all the kids. He'd come with her and help. Um, and, and so it gave the kids something to do so they weren't fractious. And now we've got a travel set that we keep. We'll take it with us and pull out. Because the, the thing about traveling is sometimes the place that you're going is, is terribly interesting for the adults and deadly dull for children. I, I can remember so many trips as children where the only reason that the trip wasn't awful was because there was some game to play. Right. Whether it was highway bingo in a car or having a deck of cards so that when you got to whatever the... the highway was... bingo, is that like punch buggy? Huh? So so what's punch buggy? Oh, that's where when you see a Volkswagen bug, you hit the kid in the seat next to you in the car. No, 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 not at all. You oh, You either okay. have a little card where you're looking for specific things some are really easy like a stop sign and others are more difficult like a barn or my dad's version where you get where your goal was to find a license plate from all 50 uh, 50 states on a road trip. okay license plate bingo i've played and highway bingo is a little bit more generic where it's like find a, a red van find a um a semi truck oh okay i don't think i've ever played that yeah yeah. So. so, but if you weren't playing that, you had to have some kind of card game you could be thing because when you ended up at the historical site and you didn't know who the Donner Party was. Oh. Yes. Not a problem for our kids. No, no. But. but places that are utterly f- historically fascinating to my family, that it, for us as children, it's like, oh, well, this is an old house. And then we were done. <laughs> So you'd go and you'd sit out on the patio of ye old California historical site and you would play a game of cards because that's what traveled. And so uh, Pente falls into that same category. It rolls up easily. It travels easily. And then you can pull it out when you realize that no one cares about Jack London anymore. I had a little cheap magnetic chess set that I remembered taking in the car with me. Mm-hmm. And I should point out, I love Jack London's books. His house is burnt it's to the a ground. House. No, it's not. Oh, it's not even it's a, a house. Ruin. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I can't tell you that when you're exploring this, it's like going to a battlefield and you're like, "Well, this is a field." If you don't have the context, there's only so much and we had not visited we had visited That that was in fact my my experience of visiting Valley Forge for the first time. As interested as I was in things military and history and stuff, the Revolutionary War period never really interested me. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to Valley Forge and it was like, okay, there were some reconstructed ramshackle cottages and some fields with rolling hills. And that was it. Yeah. And the cool part to me was the gift shop. Yeah. But, you know, where I, bought a, where I bought a pair of lead dice. And that's the thing. There's a lot of places that you travel to in the summer and you may have some people that actually understand the historical context of the place. And it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I had read Jack London's stories by the time we got there. So I at least was getting, okay, I can now in my head better picture some of the places he's described. Because he was writing some of them, at least partially set in this part of the world. Oh, okay. My brother and sister had not. Right. It was and- a ruin. And, and and not even a Roman ruin where there's still standing columns. It was a, here's the footprint of where the house used to be kind of ruin. Wow. 
Wow. So that's where you definitely want to have your pack of cards on hand or your travel checker set or your travel whatever it is so that you can sit at the picnic table and do something to occupy your time. Yeah, I mean, cards have the advantage over you know travel board games in that you can usually accommodate as many players as you want. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also cheap and much and very very portable. Um, I know plenty of people who today with their phones will play you know words with friends or or various games, but um, you know those, in my opinion, aren't as as enjoyable because you're ignoring the person sitting right next to you or across from you. And at least like in the case of our kids, they'll just sit down and play with their magic cards or um, what I used to do with my friends. We'd pull out a deck of cards and we'd play poker or we'd play blackjack or we'd play war. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at a, a, at a summer um, youth group uh, thing, we went to the, uh, eastern shore of maryland for a week to do uh work for habitat for humanity mm-hmm. and lots of people brought along card decks and we'd spend the evenings i mean we spent the day doing stuff like tarring roofs and fixing fences and there was one house we had that that little old woman must have been a marine because there were so many holes in the floor covered with layers and layers of carpet we don't know how she made it through that house on a daily basis so lots of home repairs and fixing and building that we were doing during the day in the evening, we'd sit down at the tables after dinner and play lots and lots of gin rummy. Mm. Yeah. I think we've hit on a number of games, and I can probably list even more in the show notes, of games that are suitable or very easy to find travel versions of, but ones that travel well. But thinking back through the things that we think about when we're looking at what makes a good game to play or how to effectively play games, when you're traveling and you're looking for good games to play on the go, the advantage to most of these is that they have simple rule sets, so they're easy to learn. So from that first standpoint of knowing the game that you're wanting to play, um, you're at an advantage. Yeah. Trying to remember the, ga- the rules of War or 21 or even Poker are a lot easier to learn and therefore teach than some of the more complex board games that we're fond of. Right. So you've got a, a much shorter learning curve on your own if you don't know it and you have a much easier time teaching it once you do know it because the game itself is simple even if the mastery time to get really good at it may be long right and that's really an important consideration because you know as kids we think of vacation as the time where you have no responsibilities you're out of school you're going to hang out at the beach all day or whatever Well, as an adult trying to plan a trip, I don't know about our listeners, but I know for me, even trying to plan a a trip to visit other friends is is a logistical uh, source of stress and an immensely taxing exercise. So, you know, I, I don't anymore think of vacations as restful changes of routine it's like okay, we need to to um, you know there's there's the food and there's the fuel and there's the activities and then there's the lodgings and there's the expense of all of it and the the travel budget and then there's all these bored children who are disrupted from their normal routine and don't have their regular comforts. 
it's not a good time when you're stressed and tired and worried about a bunch of other stuff and you're not actually enjoying the vacation you're spending so much money on. <laughs> and But you should be enjoying it. Um, you take all of that, that's all stress. The last thing you want to do in the middle of that is say, hey kids, let's pull out a game I barely understand and see if we can while away the hours happily doesn't work out that way. So you need a game that you can play brainlessly, mindlessly when you're completely exhausted and, you know, all you want to do is have a bourbon and put your feet up and, you know, but you can't because you're a parent. So that's one of the things to keep in mind. Uh, the second is that, you know, the nice thing about vacation time um, or hanging out at the pool or a lot of these things is that you're not necessarily actively teaching at those times, but the game still teaches. So from a standpoint of considering a game for education, you let the game do the teaching, whether it's building your skill with adding, um, as in so many of those card games, or helping hone your strategic thinking. But the other thing to keep in mind is that the game also provides that opportunity for connection, and that also is done by the game, not by some deliberate, I need to now spend time with my child so that I build connections. It's like, no, you play the game. Right. The game does it for you. The game will drill the math facts. The game will help teach cause and effect relationships, consequences and, from actions. And the game provides a natural reason to be having a conversation so that it's not forced. Right. And and that conversation can be about anything. Um we were we were playing chess around the house just uh just a few weeks ago right before the most recent round of swim lessons started up. Um and I don't even remember what came up, but somebody started asking me about like rocketry or the moonshot or something like that i was like oh well i know the library's got some good books on that so why don't we pick some up the next time we're there and you know now one of our kids is reading through uh, a youth adaptation of douglas brinkley's american moonshot about um the the the, the mercury and apollo programs and mm -hmm. and, and, and all of that loving that he he's been building rockets with his legos and been telling me all sorts of interesting facts about the the political climate and the the different rockets that were built and the names of people and things and is engaged and it all started with a conversation that came up while playing a game yeah um, and I mean, I was, I wasn't playing with him directly. I was playing with one of his younger brothers, but everybody just kind of gathers around when there's a game on. Um, and so just spending time with each other and I was exhausted that day. I'd had a rough week at work. But the um, game provides a context. Right. The game provided a context and the game provided, uh, I guess, I guess kids today would call it a safe space, so to speak, where, you know, you're focused on doing something that you find enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Your kids just want to spend time with you. So they're finding it more or less enjoyable. And you just kind of relax and let things go. And the conversation flowed. I mean, they were, it was like, what are we having for dinner? And I, oh, we're going to grill burgers or something like that. And, and, and somewhere up in there, questions came up about rockets and the moonshot and satellites. And some of it was like, oh, well, this was such and such, or that was so and so. And others, it was like, I have no clue. I mean, we, we could look that up, but I'm in the middle of a game of chess with your brother. So if you want to go find that out, you know, encyclopedias are over there on the shelf and that kind of thing. But. But that's the th that's the thing is that it that that the game will provide that context and it helps to build connection because it just it gives you an opportunity to talk. 
like your memories of your grandfather. Yeah, um, because I, we ta- we talked about everything, not just about the game, but about everything else. And it was natural to have a conversation because we were sitting there playing together. Yeah, I remember when um, when my 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 parents divorced when I was very young, and then when I was a teenager, my father and I got to know each other again, and. Um, that that's it's it's been it's been a, a wonderful experience in its own right. But I remember one of the first times he and I kind of got together to hang out. Um, I I went with him over to um, uh, one of his cousin's houses, and and the 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 cousins and um, my 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 father and uh, one of his brothers uh, were that they, they they were having a, a poker night. Um, and I mean, I was I was too young to play. I definitely didn't have the money to buy in, but I got to just hang out at the table with the adults. And you know, I had I had some some. I think I had Barks root beer, and you know, there were some chips and nuts, and we just kind of sat around and they talked and and trash talked each other as as grown men will do. And they had all grown up together. They had been playing poker with each other off and on since they had learned to play as young teenagers. And at that time, I was learning to play and playing with friends of mine. Um, And so watching them play, I learned games that they learned in casinos that I could then teach some of my friends, variants on poker. Um, And this was, again, before the World Series of Poker was on television. This This was still, you know, I mean, it was it was... It was still very laid back and low key. Um, my 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 relatives weren't playing poker because it was on TV. They were playing poker because that was just something they had done by that point for oh let me think well by but for for you know t- almost twenty years by that point they'd been doing that mm-hmm. um, and and so again those kinds of connections and conversations and whatnot become possible when you've got a game that everybody understands well enough they can just kind of relax and play the game without having to worry about playing the game Mm -hmm. and then the third thing to keep in mind and this is really important when you're traveling um is that paying attention so that you're keeping the game in the fun zone in the learning zone and not letting it get into the frustration zone right that the beauty of traveling is that frequently there is something else to do. So what you're always doing is keeping an eye on people and you're looking for those signs of disengagement. And if you reach the point where it's clear that they're tired or they're asking when the game's going to end. Or they don't want to see another mannequin in period dress or walk over another creaky floorboard in an old house or, you know, they, they've, they're just exhausted from being out at, at the uh, at the beach for eight hours. That's when you play the game. And then while you're playing the game, you look to see, are they enjoying it? And so long as they're having fun, you just keep on playing. When it comes to the point where they're cranky and exhausted again, and they're starting to get close to frustration when you're seeing those signs of disengagement, that's the time to say, hey, I think it might be time to roast some marshmallows. I think it might be some time to go walk on the boardwalk and see if we can find french fries. Or put on a movie and everybody can fall asleep to the movie just napping. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need a nap. Yes. Or that might be the time if you're camping where you say, 
Anyone want to go down to the lake for a swim or who wants to go for a hike? Right. Look for that opportunity to change location or activity if things are starting to get not fun. Because the important thing comes back to the game is doing those things. It's teaching, it's building connections while it's in the learning zone. And yeah. when you start getting disengaged, it stops being a good memory and a good time. And it becomes one more example of forced family fun. And a source of frustration. So to keep things fun and happy and that be something that you can still have in your toolkit to deal with boredom, don't let it become something that gets overwhelming or goes beyond that point of uh, frustration or disengagement. So with that, we hope you have enjoyed today's discussion. All of the games that we've mentioned today can be found in the show notes. Oh, good Lord. That's a lot of games. It's going to be a very lot of games, but that's okay. Some of them we've mentioned before, and if we miss one, it'll probably be easy enough to find. Most of these can be found easily with a Google search. That's true. Yes. But... If you have a game that you loved playing on vacation as a child or that's been a success for you while traveling, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at playedpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at playedpod or on Facebook. You can like our Facebook page, Played Podcast. Please tell us your thoughts. And until next time, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Mike is hot. Mike is hot. And we have hot coffee. And I remembered to turn off the AC, so we're now under the deadline to get this recorded before the house gets hot. No pressure. I love that the microphone probably picked up the sound of me grabbing my script. Yeah, but you can edit that out. That's true. Our alarms have gone off in the bedroom. Oh, yours. Do you have one? Uh, No, mine's for six. Okay. And my phone's on silent.